All right. I.O. <laughs> there are a few people in the building that just gave this look on their face or this who cares. Or maybe it's just jealousy, Chad. Um, <laughs> what'd you say? He even wrote Ohio State questions last night for us to work through, which is, I, wanna, I, I am so appreciative of, of you. Huh? No lie. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, yes, I'm glad they, they won. But I hope you know that if I put stuff up like that, um, it's because it leads somewhere in the sermon. It has, it has value. It has purpose. Um, because I'm not here to worship the Buckeyes as much as I love them. I'm here to worship God, right? Amen. Okay, so, but let's get into that. Um, I did not get to watch the game yesterday. Uh, I was working. I had stuff to do. So I did not get to watch the game yesterday, but um, that's probably a good thing in a number of ways. Did you know that I, my wife cannot watch an Ohio State game with me? Any guesses to why? She's not a Michigan fan because that would be a problem. So, um, <laughs> so I'm just kidding. I'm just, I, I get a little upset, right? I get a little upset. I do weird things like yell at the TV, right? Or, or you know, or I, I curl up in a fetal position. I don't do that, but... I get, I have a tendency to get a little emotionally invested, um, more so in basketball than football, because basketball is really, believe it or not, that's my sport um, that I love so much. But I get really invested, and, and, and if things aren't going right, even if we're winning, right, I can tell you we won 42 to nothing. I would not have been happy until the, until the final whistle, because I still would have been going, they could come back. They could come back. They could beat us. It could happen. It could go south. And if they did something dumb or stupid or they made a sub I didn't think they should make or they ran a play I didn't think they should run, I would go, why? Why? Am I the only one that does that? No. Okay. All right. So here's my question. Why do we do that? Why are there people that are just like me, because I'm not alone apparently, that scream at the television set? Can, can they hear you? Yes. Who said yes? I love you. Okay. They can, they don't listen, but they can hear you. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a whole other set of challenges we got to deal with now, but they can't, they can't hear you. I'm sorry. What? No, she might have, she's having delusions. So because, because the reality is they can't, right? They can't hear you. Why can't they hear you? You're not there would be step one. And the reality is, even if you were present in the stadium, how many people are in that stadium? 110,000 is the record, right? 110,000 and change is the record, right? So 100, we found that out last night. If you didn't know that, you should have come last night. You'd have found out. You'd have learned something, see? All right. So actually, trivia was a blast last night. And, and, and some of, some of y'all were yelling at people too and going, come on. And right. And if things, things weren't right, I believe my child yelled at somebody, right. About 
Jaws. I'm not even allowed to watch that movie, I think, as he said, something like that. So the point would be that we get emotionally invested in those things. And, 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 and sports, you know, you yell at the TV even though they can't hear you. If you were sitting in the, t- in the stadium of 110,000 people, still can't hear you. But here's the fun part. Does it stop you from yelling? Absolutely not. It does not stop you from yelling, at least not me. It doesn't stop me from yelling. At the end of the day, I'm really kind of deluding myself, right? They can't hear me. They're never going to hear me. And the reason they're never going to hear me is because I'm not standing right next to them, right? In, this, in the midst of the turmoil and the, and the craziness that's going on, I'm not right next to them. And because I'm not right next to them, Anything I say, whether it's right or not, because you know, if I'm offering advice on how to coach, I'm clearly right, right? <laughs> right? They're never going to hear it. As we're dealing with, with our, our, the last week and our, our fourth week in our series, it's complicated. That's really been the problem that the people of God have had with the Lord. They're not remaining close enough to Him that they can hear Him when He's calling when he's trying to speak into their lives, when he's trying to, when he's yelling at the television set, going, come on, you could make a different choice. You could do something different. They're not close enough, and so they can't hear him. In the first week, we, we talked about uh, the fact that God, the divine romance, that God asked the prophet Hosea to marry somebody who was listening to him to marry somebody that would be unfaithful to him. It's a big ask. And he did it because he wanted the people of God, and Hosea in particular, to understand what he was feeling and being in relationship with them. And he's there with them. He's always constant. He is faithful, and yet they are constantly turning towards other things that fulfill their desires rather than keeping an eye on the eternity that he's offering and the relationship that is possible. In the second week, we talked about the lawsuit where God made a case. In both Hosea's time and our own, God calls his priesthood, he targeted his priesthood to do more than just sit back, right? He calls them to proclaim his greatness in both word and deed, and that is our challenge. He also, last week we talked about the apology, sort of, right? You know, those fake apologies, those unreal ones that are, are really just about a heart that's focused on earning God's love, on doing just enough to get what you want out of God rather than responding to the love He has already given you. This week, we're going to finish up. And if I'm Hosea, I'm glad they're finishing up because he's had a crazy story of ups and downs of his wife and his children coming to him and leaving him and then coming back again. And, and so has God. He's had this, this constant cycle and still has this constant cycle of his people leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. It's really hard to maintain a relationship if you're rubber banding, right? If at times you're nowhere near each other and then when you come back together, you kind of slap back together. It shouldn't surprise us then in our relationship with God that sometimes, even when we're trying to move back toward him, that it doesn't feel wonderful, that there is a, a shock to it. 
It's because we've stretched ourselves away from his hearing. And now we're trying to move back into that relationship. And that is sometimes challenging. So let's pick up in Hosea chapter 14. It's the final chapter. It says this. It says, Israel, return to the Lord your God. Right? Again, they floated away and he wants them to come back. For you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with lips from our praise. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. For the fatherless receives compassion in you. I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them for my anger will have turned from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His branches will spread and his splendor will be like that, be like the olive tree, his fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. The people will return and live beneath his shade. They will grow grain and blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim will, why should I have anything to do with idols? It is I who answer and watch over him. I am like a flourishing pine tree. Your fruit comes from me. Let whoever is wise understand these things and understand these things and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the righteous, rebellious stumble in them. And so he's calling his people back in this rubber band relationship that he has with them. And, and, and he's asking them, he challenges them at the first part of our scripture today with, with essentially asking them, how's that working out for you? How is you walking in your own iniquity and doing your own thing? How is that working out for you? A couple of weeks ago, um, I was angry at a table saw. <laughs> and the reason I was angry at a table saw was because I was doing some work on it and I had this bolt that I could not, or this nut that I could not get off this bolt. And I worked on it, it was rusted, and it was stuck, and I worked on it, and I worked on it, and I sprayed WD-40 all over it, and then I went and got PV Blaster, because why not? It's something different. I tried that. I let it sit. I heated it up with a torch. I wrenched on it all I could, and I could not get it off. I finally get online, and I'm like, I can't get off this wrench. Why, why can't I do this? Like, here's what I learned. It was reverse threaded. Now, you've all, if you don't know what that is, you've all heard the term, right? Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey? <laughs> this was lefty-tighty, righty-loosey, right? Okay, now, I tell you what, when I discovered that, I was angry still. It didn't make me less angry, okay? I was happy that I got the nut off. Really happy, yes, but angry that whoever designed that would do that, even though they did it for a perfectly good reason. If the blade is turning the same direction as the nut, it can actually unspool a nut. So you do it backwards so that that won't happen. It'll lean towards tightening instead. So that it was a, a design for a purpose. I just didn't recognize the design, and it was driving me stinking bonkers. 
But you know what really drove me nuts? Is as I read the article and realized what was going on, it all came back to me that three years ago I had done the same exact stinking thing <laughs> with that saw. I, I had done the same thing with that saw. Now, did that make me happy? No, that made me even madder. Because I was like, are you kidding me? I have been down this road before and been through all this frustration and supposedly learned my lesson, but clearly not if I'm reliving it now. <laughs> you know, the, the fact is that, that I, I forgot. I forgot because I didn't do it for a while, right? And, and, and the people of, of God, I think, are prone to forgetting if they've not maintained their relationship they're prone to forgetting. If, if, the, if we look at the verses previous to this in chapter 13 of Hosea leading up to this, it says, I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. When they had pasture, they became satisfied and their hearts became proud and therefore they forgot me. Isn't that kind of human nature? As long as things are cruising along properly, we tend to forget what got us there, Right? We tend to forget sometimes what has carried us through our difficult times, and that is up to and including God. That was constantly the problem with the people of Israel is he would, he would bless them. He would do incredible things for them. He would give them safety, and he would provide them wealth, and he would help them find stability, and they would very soon forget all about him. They would forget that, that he had delivered them from slavery, that he had provided them life where there was none, that he had given them freedom where there was none, that he had provided them wealth when there was none, that he had been walking alongside them to heal them when they had nothing but pain and agony and desperation. They forgot. Because I think we take for granted what we have Often, the longer we have something, in fact, the more we take it for granted. And the more, honestly, we'll defend it if it goes away. We defend it as a right, when the reality is very little in our life is a right. Almost everything we have is a gift, and it is a gift from God. But there's, there's more to it if we continue to read the text. Um, they also are prone to arrogance. It says, Assyria will not save us. This is back in chapter 14. We will not ride on horses. We will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands for the fatherless receives compassion to you. There's this, this arrogance that, 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 that we, we tend to have sometimes about we really at our core, I think humans really think we know better than God sometimes. We're in danger of thinking that we know better than God. We were watching a story this morning in, in youth about this guy named um, Derek Redman. He was a runner. He was a runner in a race in Barcelona in 1992 in the 400 meter. And about halfway through the backstretch, right, he pulled up with a hamstring, right? The guy's trained for probably 10 years to get ready for this race. He's trained to get ready for this race. And now he can't finish. 
And so he tries. He limps along and he tries to finish. And, and right around the last turn, this man runs out on the, on the track and puts his arm around him and picks him up and carry him, carries him all the way. Do you know who this man was? His dad. His father. His father carried him all the way. Now, he could have slapped his dad away and said, no, I can make it on my own. I've got it. I get it. I can do this. I, 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 I don't need you for that. But he didn't. Sometimes I think that we have a tendency to knock God away and say, I can do this myself. I do not need you. Can I just tell you the heart of that is arrogance? The heart of that is the belief that I know better and I can manage my life better than God ever could. That I can make the right decisions for me, even though I claim to serve a holy father who knows all and loves beyond my, my wildest dreams, who wants what is good for me. And yet, it is, we are so prone, I think, in our deepest and darkest times, instead of leaning into God and allowing him to help us, we are prone to throwing off his arm and pushing him away and going, I have got this. And all the while, we are stumbling, unable to finish the race. Taking help requires humility. It is arrogant to push away that help and say, I can do it myself. I don't need you. There's one more thing. God's people are also prone to willful rebellion. Willful rebellion. The idea that, yeah, okay, God, I recognize that you know better. I know that you know better, and guess what? I don't care. I still want to do it my way. In verse 9, it says, let whoever is wise understand these things, and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Rebellion, by the way, is a choice, right? There's, there's an ignorance that keeps us from, from connecting with God sometimes, but willful rebellion, the choice to say, God, I know you know better and I don't care. Um, how many of you have kids? How many of you have ever lived the scenario where you've told your kid the same thing 642 times and they don't listen to you and then one day they come home and some random friend at school said, hey, guess what? I got this great life advice from my friend Susie and you're just going, I've been telling you that since 1964. <laughs> you laugh because it's happened to y'all, right? Or you've been on the other side of that. I really think that, that we have an inherent difficulty to handle and deal with people that, that have authority in our lives. And so we, we sometimes choose to block them out. And I think that includes God. And, and so the reason it takes a village to raise a child is because in, by nature, we are not willing to always listen to the people who care for us the most, who have invested in us the most, who love us the most, which is usually your parents, but man, we'll listen to some random voice on the outside. I think God knows that. <laughs> I think that God knows that and surrounds our kids with uh, the rest of us to help one another speak into our lives because it's a recognition of the reality that we are prone to willfully rebelling against authority. We are prone to do that. 
can I just tell you that um, secret is that when we grow up, we really don't grow up as much as we'd like to think. Um, we remain children in so many ways. And, and, and we, don't, we, we really struggle to reach the place where we choose to trust God, where we choose to recognize that His ways are better than our ways, and we choose to say, I will follow them rather than rebel against them. That, uh, that is a lifelong journey. We do not get to the place where we are suddenly mature enough. It just works, or most of us don't. There are a few here and there, and you know them when you see them. You know those people that just, they just you can feel the Spirit of God floating within them and around them, and you just know it. There's something special about them. That's, that's the exception, not the rule. The general rule is we struggle with it. And God says, look, if you want to know me, if you're coming back to me, as I'm calling back you back to me, I'm trying to help you understand that there is a different way. But, but these things, these challenges, these are things you have to recognize and set aside because the way I have for you is different and better. If we keep reading, it says in verse 2 of our text today, it says, take words of repentance with you to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. There's that word that nobody likes, repentance. I do not like that word. I do not like to live that word. Because re repentance is this this change of direction. It's this turning from where you were to where you're headed next. There's been some, I don't know if you're paying attention to evangelical circles at all, but there's a, a very prominent televangelist who has um, promoted the ministry of health and wealth for decades, decades, who this week said, I don't believe that anymore. Okay, I'm not going to say the name, and there's been debates on, is he really repenting? Has he really changed his direction? Has he really gone a different way? I don't know. I don't know his heart. But genuine repentance is, I think, on one, as, on one, from one point, we do need to be leery of people who repent because there is a, there is a difference between I'm changing my mind for right now because it feels better, and I'm really changing direction. One is paying it lip service. One is generally setting aside whatever path you were on before, because that's all repentance is. It's choosing to say, this direction is bad. I'm going to do a 180 and go that direction. I'm going towards the cross instead of out the door away from God. It's a, it's a genuine choice. It's not a... I'm going to wait till this problem passes, and then I'm going to head out the door. It's not a hesitation. It's a change and a movement the other way. And the truth is that genuine repentance comes with certain signs. Genuine repentance comes with certain changes of direction and attitude and purpose and function. And I think that, that we sometimes settle for deluding ourselves with the notion that we have repented when, in fact, we have not. We have just said, I will, I will um, act like I've changed until this time of trouble is past. 
it's no, we, we all, I think we all struggle with this. Have you ever set aside like I did with the circular saw? Have, have you ever been through something and found the solution and dealt with it in your relationship with God and then three years later you find yourself in the same pickle all over again? It could be you have an anger issue and you, you've managed to deal with it for a number of years and then three years later, all of a sudden, it's back. It could be that you have an issue with pornography and you've, you've, you've ki- kicked it for a while then all of a sudden, here it comes. It's back again. It, it, it happens to us because I don't believe we always truly change direction. We don't truly set aside all of it to, to let whatever that was that was driving you crazy go. Just, it's done. It's finished. I don't want to see it. I mean, the Lord says when we, when, we are, when we encounter sin, we are to do what with it? Run the other way. Oh, I'm pulling my microphone off. Look out. Run the other way. Flee from it. Not keep it at arm's length in case you want it again. Run from it. Now, there are boundaries I have to set in my life to make sure that I never end up doing things that I used to do, that God has delivered me from, and I have to recognize the signs of when those might come back, and I have to choose to say no and run straight to him. I have to choose to change direction. Sometimes I think we're, we're willing to hold on to it or watch it or say, I can handle it. I can handle it, or it's not going to cause a problem for me. When what we really need to do is change and run from it. So what does genuine repentance looks like? look like? R.C. Sproul says the call to repent is a call to return and a call to go back home to go back home to the Lord. That's what he's calling his people to do here in the book of Hosea. And that's what he calls us to do, is to go back home to him. To come back to the strength and the power and the grace and the love and the mercy that we are designed to live within. Our scripture said it, that it would provide, he was a shade tree, would provide shade for us. From, that's from the heat of the day, from the, the difficulty of life. But you have to actually get under the tree. Right? You have had to actually come back to that place of shade, that place of safety, in order to experience that shade. And that's what repentance is. The call to do that is the call to return to that place of safety, that place you were meant and designed to be. But you have to do it. So Jesus gives us some really great information on what genuine repentance looks like. It's in the section of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. I think I really believe that this echoes, I think the Beatitudes echo the Ten Commandments and that the the first section is really connected to our connection with God and the the second section is really about what that looks like when we are connected with God, okay? So what does genuine repentance look like? It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. This is the sign of Jesus calling his people. He's speaking to the Pharisees and he's speaking to everybody else around to say, look, there's a time for you to change the way you look 
at the world, the way you manage your life and from where you find your strengths. And it begins with understanding that your relationship with God needs repaired. And so he calls them to repentance. And you say, well, I don't see the word repentance in there. You're right. It's there. It's totally there. It describes this process. It says, blessed are the the poor in spirit. It requires first, if we're going to repent, that we see the nature of our error. To be poor in spirit is to recognize that you are not able to carry yourself across the finish line. It's to recognize that you are not able to make as good a decision about your life that as God is, and you are willing to say, I will submit to your will instead of my own. It's a recognition of where you're at. Because most of us don't wanna feel like we're poor in spirit, right? We wanna feel like we got it all together, we're good, it's covered, I can handle it, and God says, no, first thing you need to do is recognize that you don't got it. You don't have it recognize your poorness in spirit. But it's not just about recognize it. First, you have to, after you see the error, you've got to mourn the error. Because there's a big difference between saying, I am doing this wrong and I am sorry that I'm doing this wrong. I'm sorry for the effect that it's had on me and my life. I'm sorry that I have offended you. 2 Corinthians 7 says that there is a a difference between a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.2.7. No, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says that a godly sorrow saves. A worldly sorrow leads to death. There's a difference. We talked about it last week, giving that fake apology where you're really not sorry for what you did or how it affected somebody else. You're sorry you got caught, how it's affected you. One is a, is a worldly sorrow. I'm sorry for how it's affected me. I'm sorry I got busted. One is a godly sorrow. It says, I'm sorry for what it's done to you. I'm sorry for the decision I've made. And it should grieve our hearts to know that we've offended the Lord. It should grieve our hearts. Genuine repentance doesn't just mean I I know what I did wrong. It means this has moved me to the place where it grieves my heart that I have made this mistake, that I am walking away from you. And I think that's, that's key. I really do think this is the key step. Does this really move you? Have you allowed the Spirit of God to really, really, truly convict us? Because I don't like being convicted, do you? It doesn't always feel good. Mourning doesn't feel good either. God doesn't always do what feels good. He does what is good. There's difference, and we struggle to separate those two. Genuine repentance is then marked by remembering the error. Remember what we talked about earlier about how what really frustrated me about this table saw is I've been down this road before and I've been through this and I thought I learned this lesson and I'm back here again. We are prone to forget what God has done for us. It is important that we, we not 
It is important that we not allow ourselves to get so far away from God and so, so convinced that we've got it all figured out, that we're living in our green pasture, as the text says, where things are going well, that we forget that he has delivered us from the wilderness because the wilderness is right around the corner. And we have a tendency to wander right back into it. Not because he wants us there, but because we're stubborn, because we forget, because we're willfully rebellious, and we walk right back into the wilderness. Do you know anybody who walks back into the wilderness? I've walked back into the wilderness. It's not a good place. You don't want to be there. And it's amazing how that suddenly causes us to remember what God has done. The key to staying out of the wilderness is continuing to remember what God has done. And to do that, you have to be close to him. Allow him to whisper in your ear. Allow him to talk to you. And respond with grace, love, and gratitude. Because that, just like rebellion is a choice, that is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. And finally, genuine repentance departs from the error never to return. It changes direction completely. This televangelist we're talking about, why I said, I don't know if he's repented or not. You know what? Time will tell. His actions in the coming weeks and months will help us understand whether or not he's really departed from where he's been and has chosen to change directions towards the Lord. Right? There is something about repentance, if it's genuine, it sticks. It sticks. And I, and I mention that only because if we wonder whether or not we've really repented of something, I think in some ways you really have to do ask yourself, did it stick? Did it really stick? Because if it stuck, the likelihood is it was genuine. If it didn't stick, then we have to be willing to ask ourselves why. We have to be willing to approach God and say, okay, I missed something. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do what I needed to do. We have to be willing to trust each other to identify our flaws and help each other get there because it's really what the church is about, is us helping each other do what God would have us do. Because as we said before in this text, we don't always do that naturally. We forget, we're arrogant, and we're rebellious, and we need each other to keep that from happening. So, the upside, though, the upside, though, is this, this text tells us how this leads to a completely different relationship with God and a different way of looking at life. If we go back to our source text today, it says in verses four through eight, it says, I will heal their apostasy. That means I will heal that bond. I will heal that straying relationship that you've had, this, this cho choice you've made to follow these other gods and this, this road that it's led you down. I will return you from that. I will heal that bond. I will make it right. Notice it doesn't say you will make it right. It says God will make it right. I will make it right. Right. And it says, I will freely love them. 
For my anger will have turned away from him. He will have turned that anger, that nasty feeling away from you and directed love towards you. And he said, I will be like the dew on Israel and he will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. He mentioned the dew earlier. And and in that case, the dew was something that that was like the apology. It didn't last very long. It didn't stick. It melted off really fast. But here he's saying, you know what? This dew can also lead to refreshment. It can lead to healing it can lead to deeper roots of faith and life and love and it can be a blessing onto you and he says i will spread new branches and his splendor will be like the olive tree his fragrance like the forest of lebanon he will protect our hearts and our minds and our souls and allow us to flourish the people will return and live beneath his shade we talked about that they will grow grain and blossom like the vine his renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Do you believe the, this, this changing in relationship, this genuine repentance, this genuine permanent return to God, it actually changes your witness to the world. It changes the way the world sees us as his people and thus the way the world sees the Lord. It changes the way you affect those you come in contact with. If you've got somebody in your life that you've, you're trying to get them to see God and you're ju- they're just not. That may be because they're arrogant and willfully rebellious and all of those things, but it may be because you've got something you haven't dealt with yourself yet that may help you if you can figure out a way to deal with it, truly repent of it, truly turn towards the Lord, truly stop this rubber band relationship you have with him, that your witness actually gets stronger because you've allowed him to heal you of those things. And what they see instead of my brokenness is him. And he's much prettier than me. You're supposed to laugh, people. Come on. All right. So, and then it says, Ephraim, why should I have anything more to do with those idols, those, those things that are, that are just in the way, that are between us, that you're running to instead of me. Why should we have anything else to do with those? Just cast them aside. And he says, it is I who will answer and watch over him. I am like the flourishing pine tree and your fruit comes from me. It allows the Lord to provide for us in ways that we could have never possibly imagined. It allows for him to heal you where you did not think you could be healed. It allows you to witness where you were unable to witness before. It allows you to recognize and appreciate the many blessings we have all been given that we sometimes take for granted. It changes the way we look at our world and the way we experience our eternity. There is something powerful about choosing the Lord and faithfulness in the Lord. But that's kind of the key. As verse 9 of this text reminded us, we talked about it. Some of us are in rebellion. Some of us are not. This is a choice. God will not force you to make this choice. He will highlight all the upsides. He will be there faithfully to remind you as he was here and as he asked Hosea to be. He will whisper in your ear. He will yell at you across the stadium, he will constantly be there trying to help you return to him and help you see what you were made for. But you've got to choose to listen.
I have to choose to listen. And so our challenge today is to do just that, is to, is to choose to listen. If you've never, I got louder. Were you not, could you not hear me? Do I need to listen more? Okay, all right. Can you hear me now? Okay. You have to choose to listen. If you have never chosen to listen, guess what? Today's the day. If you have chosen to listen at times, but you're in a time of your life where you're not listening, guess what? Today's the day. You can make that choice and God will do the rest. Amen? Amen. All right. So let us stand. And as we stand today, we're going uh, to finish up as we always do our services with a time of prayer. I'm going to read off some public prayers, some prayers that were given to us ahead of time. But I also want to encourage you in this time to make this choice if it is your time. I will stop the prayers right in the middle and we will go from there and we will do whatever we need to do to help you return to the Lord as you were meant to be, to help you experience the fruit of his tree, the shade of his tree, and and to come and know out of the wilderness and into the green pasture that he has designed and laid out for you. First, we'd like to, Holly has asked for prayers for Kaylee. Is that that the right? Haley? Kylie. For Kylie, uh, she's a 10-year-old that she met at a football game and she has brain cancer. So we ask for prayers for her. Uh, Deb Reestall has asked for prayers for Rita Helmendaler for her knee to continue to heal. Uh, she's still in the process of rehabilitation and we want to see her back up running around all over the place, driving us crazy. I'm kidding. I love Rita to death. Barb Culp was asked for prayers for Jerry and for Bernice. Jerry has surgery coming up on the 18th. Yes? Uh, They're going to crack his chest open. So this is no outpatient small deal. This is a time that that he's going to need our support, not just in the moment, in the day, but over the coming months. And I know that we will come together as a body to help him. I know we will. And to help Barb. She also asked for prayers for her mom, Bernice, as she continues to to struggle, to struggle. Vianne has asked for prayers for an unnamed personal friend of the Clarks who's currently on hospice. We ask that you lift up, lift them and their family up uh, and, and pray for peace. Pray for the presence of the Lord to descend upon them and provide them with that peace that can only come from Him. Greg and Lori Best's friend, Jason Kennedy, uh, has brain cancer as well and they have come to ask for prayer for him and for his family that they might find healing that God might do a miraculous thing because he might he might and if he doesn't that at the very least we would recognize his faithfulness and his love and his presence even in the midst of our difficulties he is there if we turn to him Those are all the prayers that I have listed. Does anybody have any others? Anything else that they feel needs to be brought up? Yes. Um, Colin's grandfather. Colin's grandfather. Okay. Okay. Pray for the troops. troops. Anybody else? I'm sorry. 
Oh, anybody in the path of Dorian, of Hurricane Dorian, please? Especially the Bahamas, please. Yes. Pray for Greg Culp's employment situation. He's had some difficulties over the last couple of months, had some bad news. We're praying for good news, right? We're praying for incredible things, and we know he will provide. But that doesn't make it easy <laughs> while you're on the path. So we pray for that. Yes. Tim Tillman. Okay. I imagine he is. Okay. So Tim has still got IVs to deal with this blood infection, the bacterial infection. He's still stuck at home. Do you know what that means? We should go visit him. So if you have opportunity this week, please go visit Tim Tillman. I'm sure his wife would love the break too, so she can run away for a second. All right. <laughs> Kidding. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Parker Neald is continuing to struggle with seizures. It's been kind of an on and off again battle for him. And uh, we pray that he will continue to heal, that the drugs will, uh, the doctors will find the right cocktail or whatever that is, right? Provide him with some stability and some healing so that this part of his life will no longer be a challenge. Anybody else? Okay. We can keep her comfortable and stuff as she rushes toward the finish line to glory. Okay. So Mark's we don't, mom. We don't think she's gonna make it toward Thanksgiving. Okay. Mark's mom, Mary, has been. You've seen her here in in a wheelchair. She's getting weaker, and she can't even drink through a straw right now. She's struggling for that. So we pray for comfort and peace and healing. Um, it is likely the end is near. Um, but she will move into an eternity with the Lord because she has trusted him. Right? Yeah. Amen with for that. Colin. Pray for Colin's mom. Okay. She's struggled with an addiction for the last five or six years. We pray for healing for her, right? And for you. Yeah? That is a rough, that is very rough on a relationship um, and on her connection to the Lord. So thank you for bringing that. He will do amazing things. Pray for you too. Yeah? Anything else? All right, let us close. Father God, we are thankful, so thankful for your strength, your mercy, and your faithfulness, even in the, the face of, of our sometimes unfaithfulness or inconsistent faithfulness. Lord, you have pledged to provide for us if only we, we turn to you. And, and, and it's funny that when we do, we find, we find your love and we find your grace and we find your strength. And still over time, sometimes we forget how good we've got it in you and we fade off. I pray that you will give us the strength and the faithfulness to stay with you through thick and thin, that we will maintain our relationship and our focus on you because you are the source of life. You are the source of the fruit in our lives. You are the source of protection. You are the source of love. You are the source of all things good. 
Help us to soften our hearts, to allow you to move within us, to mold us into who you would have us be. Lord, you've heard our pleas today. You've heard our, our prayers and our cries. And I pray today, Lord, that, that you will answer them in miraculous ways as we know only you can because the glory will be yours. Lord, we are thankful for those who are able to bear their hearts today, for their willingness to do so. I pray that we as a body can come around them to strengthen them, to remind them that they are loved, and that we are here to help carry each other to the finish line. Father God, we are thankful for your son, for his sacrifice that makes all of this possible. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen. Thank you folks for coming today. Have a wonderful week. If you need anything, let me know.